0: This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter.
1: We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. On
0: today's episode, we interviewed in person uh, Colin, a.k.a. Arceris in Wyoming. This is a great conversation. Colin is co-founder of a Bitcoin mining company called Distributed Hash and has a really immense knowledge on Bitcoin mining. So we dove into that Topic, I think you'll enjoy it. All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. We are here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, live with Colin, aka
2: Arcerus. Is it Arcerus? Right? Arcerus, Arcerus. Either way, all okay. of works. <laughs> Where did that come from? or that was? uh So, um, back in the uh, two thousand six two thousand seven era, I was uh playing eve online which is a mmo kind of like wow or something like that um and i and uh i wanted a a character name that was hard to pronounce <laughs> so that it would be hard for people when they called me as uh, as primary it would be hard for them to pronounce it so people would get confused it worked a little bit it did but uh uh when i uh, got into into this space i had that Twitter account so I just started using it and it seemed appropriate uh never thought I'd be on you know having people actually having to pronounce it and then having oh wait I actually designed it to be hard to pronounce a little bit but yeah. nice yeah I always mix it up I feel like and yeah the whole
0: anon sort of anon world of, of Bitcoin Twitter is, is really interesting to me I feel like more and more people are, are coming out but then it's like when you meet people in person it's like oh you're you're that guy yeah like you're that person so it's kind of funny
2: yeah i still i still uh keep myself without a uh you know picture of me it's just the moon um but uh uh moon with the green laser beam off of it that, that's my laser eye is the green laser beam that um uh, university of new mexico used to do the range finding i thought it was pretty cool but Um, I don't want to have my, uh, my picture on my Twitter, but you know, (laughs) that's fair. That's totally fair. So
0: I guess maybe we could start there with your, your Bitcoin story. So obviously, you know, into Bitcoin mining and everything right now, active in the space, but yeah, how did you get into Bitcoin? How did you discover it? And, uh, I think you have a pretty, I guess, uh, some mistakes or things you wish you didn't do <laughs> that maybe you could shed some light on as all of us uh, or a lot of us have with our Bitcoin stories. Well, if you don't have a, if
2: you don't have a good origin story, then uh, you're, you're new to the space and you're lucky. Right. So uh, uh, I've told the story a couple of times, but basically uh, I was playing Eve online and I was working night shift uh, at a hotel um, and there's not much to do. So uh, a couple of times I didn't, I wasn't, playing the game, I was just, you know, reading uh, a Red Slash Dot, and um, sometime in uh, late 2010, early 2011, I heard about it, and uh, oh, this is cool, and I had I had the gaming rig, and, and the uh, uh, graphics card, so I started um, uh, CPU mining, and a little bit of GPU mining, and then I had access to all of these other computers that were in the hotel, so I slaved them all into mining for me, and so I had uh, a bunch of uh, of things that were CPU mining for me um, back in 2011, 2012. And then then I wanted a motorcycle, so I sold it all and bought a motorcycle and a couple of years later the motorcycle got stolen and don't even have that anymore. But um, didn't really get, get I kept watching it but didn't really get back into it um, into until about 2019, 2018, 2019. Um, and then COVID hit and then I really really got into it and uh, uh decided wait this something's up and uh came back but i came back i came back through um through a shit coin i came back through um uh through cardano um uh, cardano yeah shout out to cardano <laughs> <laughs> cardano <laughs> but uh yeah yeah he, he, he yeah charles charles yeah. listen in yeah, just not too far from here um but uh, now I came back through Cardano, and I, I realized what uh, what it was, and uh, I kind of um, dumped all of that, turned it into, into into straight Bitcoin, and then I joined the uh, the Twitter community or, uh, late 2020, early twenty one. I uh, got on through Clubhouse, um, met a bunch of people there, and yeah, that's basically how I ended up. Here, I guess.
1: <laughs> so wait, what was the name of the MMO you said that at the beginning of the story that you were you were getting into? Uh, at the, the beginning, uh, the,
2: uh, the, the the memo. Yeah. Um, oh, I read I, no, I read on Slashdot uh, about uh, so the Slashdot had posted the uh, white paper back then, um, and that's so that's how I read about it. That's what I learned about it. Um, Slashdot being an old uh, well, it's still around a, a nerd website, a computer. You know programming and and Sysop website, and so I was just uh that's that's where I read about it, and that's uh um uh, where I decided to start playing around with it and think it'd be pretty cool, and yeah,
1: yeah. I had a couple of friends that they got into it. I think around the same time, one of them actually just retired <laughs> off of a bunch of it because they stayed in. But it, it's I I mean I I don't even think I was even aware. I was I was in high school, so I was just kind of doing my high school stuff then. But it, it's funny talking about talking about all that old well it was it was
2: all all the all the cpus too they're all mac minis so i I had about 17 mac minis that were that were mining for for me um and uh uh and it's this is yeah it's not apocryphal i can actually point to the i can point to the uh those are the transactions um that i where i where i transferred it all um but uh uh, they over the course of about six months it was it was uh uh, it was enough to buy a, a pretty crappy motorcycle. Um, back then, I think it, when I sold it, it was, um, 14, 15, something like that. Oh wow, Um, yeah. yeah. And then I like, uh, then I bought back in, you know, much, much, much higher. <laughs> how did your,
1: uh, how did your supervisor feel about you using all the computers in the, well, I, so I owned the hotel. Okay. So yeah, it was so my that, hotel. Like that I, does <laughs> help when you own the hotel, I suppose.
2: Yeah. So I was, it was the, it was actually a large bed and breakfast. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, we had put Mac minis in each of the rooms to be the the sort of, uh, so people could watch, I, I don't know, now, Netflix wasn't that common back then, but we could do Netflix on it. You mm-hmm. could do um, uh, movies on it and things like that. So it was basically like an in-room um, uh, entertainment center before that became really common for hotels to have. And so, but there was actually runoff of a, of a full size, you, know, you know, a fully capable Mac mini, which didn't. Mm-hmm when somebody wasn't booking the room, I would just tell it to do the Bitcoin mining.
1: That's cool. No, the last thing I'll ask you, I'll hand it back to Tristan, but, um, I was just curious, like at that time, just from a mindset perspective, were you viewing Bitcoin as mostly like a stock then? I was just viewing it as a toy. I mean, it was, it's, this is cool. Um,
2: people like, uh, people will trade it. it. I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, go down the economics, um, rabbit hole. If it was, it was, it was a technology toy, something fun to play with. Um, And I didn't really, that's why I didn't keep any of it. That's why, that's why I was like, Oh, I can get a motorcycle. That's cool. I I didn't get the economics of it. I didn't get the sound money aspects. I didn't, uh, all of the, um, uh, the tech aspects of it were, were fun to play with, but it wasn't really uh to me, it wasn't earth shattering then. And it wasn't until, until 2019 really that it started to click. And, uh, and of course I came back in, like I said, through, through other, other crypto. And then, I wanted to understand it from the beginning, so uh, I went through and read the white paper, started to read things uh, about the economics of it, and, um, and to understand why this stuff is the way it is. And that's when I said, wait, this other stuff is crap. And I got rid of it and went you know, straight into Bitcoin and... Never look back.
0: Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I feel like the COVID crash of 2020 really, like, I mean, it was for me, like, I was shitcoining hard, like, from 2017 to 2020, probably, Mm. and trading and losing Bitcoin. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that kind of just awoken to, like, my realization of of everything that's going on. It was was kind of crazy. Like, that, I remember that day in in general, just, like, everything went out the door. And I mean...
2: People thought it was going to zero, everything was going to zero everything everything was moving everything was dropping simultaneously it was just a liquidity crunch. people needed cash they needed to pay off loans so gold bitcoin the stock market treasuries everything went down simultaneously because it was a it was a flight to to liquidity um, and you know I, that that wasn't uh that wasn't the period that I bought unfortunately because that would have been awesome but yeah. um, i did however i am i did i am a little bit lucky in that. Back in 2011, 2012, when you were mining, you could do something called merge mining, which you can still do with some other coins. But uh, back then, you could merge mine Bitcoin and Namecoin. And I didn't sell any of that Namecoin back then. So I did have all of that. Um, and uh, because of the run-up in price when, uh, when things got crazy, uh, it was enough to, to uh, start me off on my journey without completely... Uh, you know so name is still around like oh in yeah you can, you can still play it you can still trade it now it's not I mean it's, it's, it's pointless but it's still there people will still buy it for some reason
0: <laughs> that's hilarious so back then what like 2012 or 2011 the
2: hash or the bitcoin per block was what was it it was 50? 50 it was 50 yeah. I mean yeah I was I was effectively pulling down one whole bitcoin every five days off of CPUs uh, that were already running and doing you know it was either that. I, I, basically, some of them were running Bitcoin, some of them were occasionally running um, SETI at home and folding at home and stuff like that, and it was just basically, what are the, what are the empty cycles going to be doing? Am I going to donate them or are I gonna turn it into Bitcoin? I'm, and pretty soon I realized, wait, I can sell this stuff, so I turned them all into Bitcoin, but it was yeah, it was one, um, one whole Bitcoin every five days off of the 17 Mac minis, um, and uh, it was it, it was the predecessor to Brainspool. Uh, slush pool, but I think it, I, I I'm I may be incorrect, but I think it was actually called something else back then. Um, but that's that's the first pool, and that's the one I was mining to, and yeah.
0: And you sold it on what Mount
2: Cox? oh uh, yeah, I think I sold it on Mount Gox wow. Uh, and uh, and wired yeah you know, the, back then I think you wired the money or ACH'd it or something, and and yeah, I just got it back into my uh some of it back into my account that way, and some of it what I what I effectively did is I was I was buying. Uh, buying things anyway. Um, so I would use the Bitcoin to buy it. Uh, buy things like uh, um, uh, the majority of it was sold for the motorcycle. But some of it else, some, I bought a, um, uh, a seed box so you could um, tor- BitTorrent stuff without having, to, and so I did, since I didn't have my credit card attached to it, it was kind of nice. And then I had uh, a couple of other things like um, uh, a, a domain name that I had back then that I paid for with that. I mean, you know, kind of everything you look back, and am like, really, really? <laughs> That's cool. Well, I guess, well, it's cool that you're
0: mining again now yeah. in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe maybe we do a little Bitcoin mining 101 because this is our first, for sure, our first this deeper discussion about Bitcoin mining in general. We've talked about Bitcoin a little bit, a few guests, but I feel like this is a topic that people... Don't understand. Uh, there's so much common mm-hmm. criticism from like Elizabeth Warren and the likes of um, <laughs> about energy consumption. Uh, and, you know, we're the reason why I asked, you know, the block uh, Bitcoin reward total is because obviously now that's a lot lower. It's yep. about six
2: and a quarter. It's a, yeah six and a quarter now. And uh, I think right about this time next year, it'll it'll drop to three yeah. and eight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the next halving. So. I don't know
0: where do we start. How how would you explain, you know, how just Bitcoin is mined okay. or put into circulation at a high level? So
2: the mining is a mining is a uh, a great term that's absolutely horrible describing to describe what it is, but it's a great term in that um uh it's 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 succinct. But you're not mining, obviously. You're not doing anything like that. It's uh, some people say you're solving really complex equations. That's not even it. You're basically rolling dice um and the difficulty is such that uh the, the difficulty adjustment sets it so that on average there will only be one computer that finds the proper hash to secure the block so that's that's effectively what you're doing is you're looking for a number that uh mathematically determines that the the hash for the block has a certain number of leading zeros and it's it's truly a random process And the difficulty is set such that one of those will be found roughly every 10 minutes. So I have uh, machines that run roughly 100 to 110 terahash. So that's um, 110 uh, trillion uh, rolls of the dice per second per machine. And um, there's uh, tens of thousands of those running or maybe even millions of those running on the planet any one time so you're talking uh quintillions or or septillions of rolls of the dice per second such that only one of those gets found every 10 minutes and once once that's found the, the machine that or the 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 miner that found that block gets paid the reward usually it's the pool because uh people assemble to d- uh, defray their risk um and that's how, that's what I do. So all of our, all of our customers, all of our miners, uh, go into, uh, a pool, not necessarily the same pool. People can choose whatever pool they want and you can move it instantaneously from one pool to the other. Um, but, uh, and that process, the, the, in order for the machine to do that, those large number of dice rolls per second, it does burn a lot of it en- or it does utilize a lot of energy. That's a feature, not a bug. It's necessary. That's the proof of work. The necessary expenditure of all of that energy is what proves that you have done the work so that it can't be faked, so if somebody were to attempt to fake it, they'd have to burn the same amount of energy so there's there's no point in faking it uh, unlike say proof of stake where the rules could be uh you know just changed based on a uh, number of uh, number of votes you have The proof of stake that that ethereum has is a little bit more um uh A little bit more uh, uh, devious and, and not that's the wrong word, I guess, well-designed than that. But proof of stake really just boils down to the number of votes you have, Um, whereas proof of work does actually require the use of of energy, which is why somebody like Elizabeth Warren would be against it because A, she's against the use of energy in any kind, and B, she doesn't like that the use of energy is such that it prevents her from controlling the system, her and her ilk. So,
1: yeah, I mean that I mean that that makes sense, I guess. So, so basically, it's like game of odds. So, like the more you have running, mm-hmm. the higher odds of of getting that pool. Yes. Right?
2: So, uh, if your pool has the more the more hash power that your pool has access to, the more likely it is going to be that it will be the one finding the block. And then, um, so f- for instance, I I, I still use uh, and a lot of a lot of people, it's not a dominant uh, pool, but a lot of people still use Slush Pool or now Brains Pool. Um, and they find roughly six, seven, eight blocks a day. So um, you know take that, uh, multiply out not just the six point two five, but also the block reward, which because of uh, uh, various various factors, that block block reward itself is sitting at somewhere between point three and point four. So you're looking at you know maybe six and three quarters uh, per block. and then it uh, the pool will take that reward and divvy it out. To the participants in the pool with uh, respect to the uh, amount of effort that those were, uh, the you know, participants had uh, provided so if you're one percent of the pool you should get roughly one percent of the reward now it fluctuates because people fall off you know turn on and turn off uh, switch pools whatever so
0: um, is that solely based on hash? Hash rate and hash power, or is it like actively how much effort that specific piece of hardware is like putting in?
2: So the the, the that particular piece of hardware is putting in hash the hash power and the hash yeah. power is directly related to how much uh, it, it it's both the the measure of the effort and the measure of the uh, of it's, the. It's not like a predetermined spec. That's correct. Yes, it's not a predetermined okay. spec. It's so if you have if you have one machine and it's contribute if you have like one S nine which is an older machine, um, and that is providing. Fifty uh, to you know twelve to fifteen terahashes. You're not going to get very much. Uh, you're probably not even going to break even because um, the electrical, uh, uh, um, the amount of electrical power that that machine is burning is close to fourteen hundred watts or one point four kilowatts per hour, and so it's probably returning you five cents per five USD cents per uh, hour, but you're costing you 14 to tw- to 20 USD cents per hour. Um, unfortunately we still have to rate everything in USD because that's what the power company wants. They don't, uh, if you're, you're lucky, if you can pay your power bill in pure Bitcoin, but, um, yeah, so the, the, a lot of it still has to get referred back to be, uh, to USD. But even though you may be quote losing USD on the trade, it doesn't necessarily make mean that it's a bad trade because you can do things. It's generating, you're, you're, you're burning, and you're utilizing energy. That energy is converted into the Bitcoin work, but it's also converted into heat. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I actually heated my house in the winter here in Wyoming when it was down in the negative 20, negative 40 range with three S9s. Was that profitable on a pure USD Bitcoin exchange? Absolutely not. But I'm going to be I mean, I needed the heat anyway, might as well get a, you know, get a little bit of sats back from my power bill. So that's effectively what I did. And not only did I get sats back on my power bill because I was generating the heat with a Bitcoin miner instead of, you know, an, a, an electric resistive heater, which would have been the same amount of, uh, of cost. But, uh, those are all KYC free, free sats. And, you know, so it's pretty, pretty awesome that way.
1: Yeah. That actually kind of goes into the question I was going to ask just cause I'm, I'm curious. Um, we had someone uh, named Michael on the podcast uh, several weeks ago, and he was using uh, basically the the heat produced from from all this mining to heat greenhouses. Mm-hmm. and I thought that that was like a pretty interesting idea. so like what are what are some like practical applications for energy use? and maybe we can sort of like dispel some of the stuff about how like the energy needed to yep. do it because I think there's just huge misconception. Um, and also, uh, people don't understand any of this stuff anyway. So kind of just like giving a high level would be good, I think.
2: Okay. Well, so, uh, what the Bitcoin miners produce what's called low grade heat. And that, that just means that it's not hot enough to boil water. Okay. So you're not gonna, you're not gonna use your Bitcoin miner to, to make whiskey or you're not gonna use your Bitcoin miner to, um, you know, to, to, uh, you know, in, in high level industrial processes you need that need a lot of focused heat. Um, but that doesn't mean low grade heat doesn't mean it's, it doesn't, that, that's not a knock against it because there's a lot of applications where you want low grade heat. One would be your domestic hot water. You don't want boiling water to come out of your tap when you turn on your, you know, to take a shower. You want it to be roughly 120, 130 Fahrenheit. Um, well, low grade heat is perfect for that. Low grade heat is also great for heating a residential space or a greenhouse. Another thing that you that people have been using the uh, Bitcoin miners to do uh, is to make beef jerky because you're basically when, whenever you have a heating element, you're drying things out. So you're and, and the Bitcoin miners are moving an absolute ton of air. So you have effectively um, a, a, a drying application. So you, another people are thinking about, OK, how well, how do I use the miners to, to do you know um, clothes drying? Which you could do now. The starting and stopping and things like that make it a little bit more tricky because they, the miners don't like being turned on and off. But that for space heaters in a house, um, for uh, a friend of mine, uh, bikes and Bitcoin will plug his uh, miners in directly into his central heat. So that's not even space heating. That's actually you know central heat, um, and uh, uh, you know doing it for for drying out foods, for heating greenhouses, um, and uh, if you can convert the heat into liquid, you can actually put it into water and use it to, for domestic hot water and other, other situations like that. Um, and I think there's at least one hotel, in I think it's in Europe, that actually does that for, you know, you can call it commercial scale hot water. Um, so, I mean, you're going to need, you need to burn the energy anyway. So might as well have it, you know, do something useful also. So anytime you can do that, uh, where you ha- where you take the 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 process and and link it to another thing, other people I think have actually used this not just to eat a greenhouse but to heat like um uh, s- you know, stock ponds to heat uh chicken coops in the winter um, to prevent them from getting well because up here we get really cold um it 's a, a little bit less of an interesting thing in texas where it's it, where the, where it doesn 't get super cold in the winter although you know last year. They did, or two years ago, they did get really cold, and so much so that they froze their windmills. So,
0: <laughs> I think that's really cool. It's like, but those are all with S nines, mostly, right? Because there
2: can be run off one twenty. Yeah, so S nines run off of one twenty. Um, so you can they,
0: plug it in yeah. your wall outlet if you don't know what
2: that means. Yeah, so you can. You can it's standard standard residential wall outlet. You can uh, uh, you can run the uh, the mo- more modern miners off of uh, two twenty, which is a, a Stove outlet or a, a dryer outlet, so you can get access to that kind of power in a residential environment. But it's a little bit more tricky. The other reason why you might want to so run what,
0: four kilowatts, uh, three
2: to three, three and a half. Three? Okay. Yeah. So, so you just
0: need to make sure your breaker is uh, size yeah appropriate. Yeah,
2: this is it, it. When you when you want to start doing things like that, you can't just. Uh, it's not just a plug and play application, but the S nines will plug into any wall outlet that that can handle uh, like a TV because yeah they, you know, they take twelve amps. Um, so m- and most standard residentials rated for 15. Um the other reason why people want to use S9s for these things is because they're cheap. Like 100 bucks for for one of these so you're not whereas if you're getting a, an M30, uh M50, S19, which are the current state of the art ones, yeah, they're a lot more efficient. Yeah, you'll you'll make a lot more sats off that than uh you know for the same input. But you're also going to be paying well, you, you can get m30s now for 1500 bucks 1400 bucks 1300 bucks if you're if you get some used ones and you're willing to uh, uh, hunt but uh the the higher end stuff you're still looking at uh you know 1800 1900 bucks whereas you know s9 hundred bucks 150 bucks you know give it a shot try it out not a, not a big investment and you don't have to do any work on your house because it's just plugging straight into the wall
0: Yeah, that's cool. And I know Ryan mentioned the energy consumption, but I want to talk about the semiconductors for a little bit, or the ASICs, it's just application-specific ICs. So, you know, the semiconductor shortage Mm -hmm. kind of inflated price is alongside the bull run. Um, But regardless, there's like these next generation, next generation. You're talking about going from, what, 15, 20 terahash per second to like over 100. Yep what is the future look like? Is this Moore's law kind of run out or is, is there actually like this progression kind of in line with every having that we're going to be like two, hundred, four hundred 400 terahash per second, or do you see that kind of tapering? And yeah, I'm I'm just curious because it's, you know, obviously the having is, is coming next uh, spring or, mm. or early summer. Right. So obviously every mining company right now is just trying to mine as much Bitcoin as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, and that shift has, you know, happened to mostly being, you know, these higher efficiency miners. Um, when when does that next shift kind of happen to the next gen? Is there a next gen that's like substantially better, and when does it come?
2: Well, so um, the the the, the, in the inside the mining, you've got you've got multiple factors that you're fighting against. You've got obviously the the die the, the size or the the um, the, the and which, which is directly proportional to the direct uh, to, to the in, the efficiency of the chip itself. So the 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 smaller the die, uh, but you mentioned fifteen nanometer. I think that's what S nines are. Um, I think the uh, uh, some of the more modern things are there. They're, um that are commonly available are like seven, um, and the the cutting edge stuff. I think they're at five, but um, uh, that. Uh, you know that that's what Moore's law gets you. The other things that you can do to increase, you know, n- not really efficiency, but I guess the capacity is getting the heat away from the chip as fast as possible. Um, and so that's when you go from air cooling. People have been been screwing around with immersion, which is taking a uh, uh, non conductive oil and just dunking the machine into it. Um, that works very well. I don't like it myself because there's a, it has its problems um but it is extremely effective for the people who want to do is it. The, the liquid's pretty cold then right like or well it's 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 uh it's i think they they circulate it around so it's you know it's 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 not chilled because chilling it is uh, you could chill things but that's adding more that's basically adding more power to the mm. system because every for every watt you take out you have to um you have to basically put it back in right or every watt you put in you have to take it out so it's going to cost you just as much to chill it as it would just to um add more um so uh I prefer water cooling which is technically more challenging than oil immersion because oil immersion you just dunk it into it with water cooling you have to design um a pumping system you have to design the uh the chips such that they mate with a water block because obviously water and, and electronics don't mix so you can't let the two actually touch but you want to get the water very close and move it around um, the reason why I like water cooling uh, is the the specific heat capacity of water is much higher than oil um, you can move it around with without specialized equipment uh, if you spring a leak okay yeah, you might wreck one machine but it 's not flammable whereas oil immersion you know it 's basically you have a deep fryer with a with a bunch of electronics and you know, inside it um, and yeah they have they have oils that are that are that are um, less likely to you know, ignite. Um, those are much more expensive, but the other side of the coin was that with the oil immersion is it's, it's oil. So you're, you know, it's, it's slowly getting all this crap building into it. And when you're, you know, you, you've driven a car, you've had motor oil, you put it in, it's nice and clean. When you take it out, it's not, it's got all the engine stuff, you know, collected in it. well, that happens with the with the immersion mining too. At the, the the oil has a life life cycle, and when you're done with it, now you have to dispose of all of this oil uh, that's not necessarily got pleasant. it got probably got you know if there's lead in the circuit board, it's probably got lead in it. Although most things are not made with lead these days, but it might have um, copper and and uh, other other things that you don't want to just dump it on the ground. And if you did that in an industrial scale, the EPA might have something to say about that. Um, and you can't just burn it because you'd let all those things in the atmosphere. So what do you do with the used oil? Whereas in a a water block immersion system, the the water is never touching the electronics. It's just touching the copper block. And so it's a, it's a lot easier to deal with. So you don't have, you don't have a, if you spring a leak, you're not, you don't have to have an environmental problem. You're not, you know, dealing with things that it might just go up in in flames. And uh, uh, so I think, and you, with the water, you can directly put it into a residential system. And if you spring a leak, you're not you know, bathing in oil either. Does the oil like reduce the lifetime of an ASIC? No, I think it actually does increase it.
0: Oh, it because it. because the, it's just the heat. It's yeah, that heat. The, okay. the, the,
2: ASIC's, the ASICs... What is
0: the average lifetime, I guess, you think?
2: So a lot of people think that um, the lifetime of an ASIC is... When it when the um, having happens and the people will throw away their old ASICs, that's that is completely false. That's when they're selling them. Yeah, like the S nines, which are two generations old, are still they're still viable if you have the right use and you can you can make if the power is cheap enough or you have a use for the heat, they're still viable. So in that case, you're really just talking about meantime before failure of boards, which. Yeah, I've see boards fail. Um, when you have uh, when you have a, a mine with hundreds of machines, you're going to see some that fail every now and then. But we're not talking constant failures. We're talking like every every couple of months, I might see a failure. And usually it's the power supplies, not the hashboards. And the uh, so you can swap out the power supplies at a couple hundred bucks, you swap those out and fix them. And then the hashboards just keep keep chugging along um i think in in a year and a half i think we've actually had a total of two hard board failures which were where they just popped um and you know that just happened so out of call it 250 machines each with three hash boards we've had two failures two two boards not two machines in uh in a year and a half that should give you roughly that these things are not they're not just dying. They're just, they're gonna keep, they're gonna keep chugging along just like any old computer equipment. I mean, you can you you can people have nineteen nineties uh, era uh, machines sitting in their attic. They could you know fire it up and run Linux. So don't, on it. I don't need a new iPhone every two years? <laughs> no, you probably don't. <laughs> but yeah, the software. It's a software. Yeah, and the and these things, the software just keeps chugging along. Is yeah? There's not nothing special about it. So going back to the next generation, like what, yeah, you know, what's what's coming? Well, so uh, both What's Miner and Ant Miner, the two dominant do- uh, manufacturers, uh, have have come out with uh, fairly interesting uh, water block or or hydro um, systems. I personally think the What's Miner version of that is significantly more interesting. They've packaged it. Uh, historically, miners have been in these wonky shoebox sort of configurations that are not really conducive to um, uh high density applications uh the what's minor m 53 i think it's an m 53 or maybe it's an m54 anyway their their water their, their water uh or their hydro version is a standard 2U rack mount server package so it could now fit into any Server hardware uh, situation, and a lot of a lot of places like Google and Amazon uh, in their in their big data centers are also using water immersion. So it could just plug straight into one of their systems um, as long as they have the right kind of power. And so you, they do have specialized power supplies that are not integral to the machine. But you can if you can um, provide it with it with the with the power that it wants, these things can just plug right in. And one of the things that they did is Heat Core is partnered with. Um, what's minor and they made a it's it's the size of a of a uh, 100 gallon water heater and it has i think six or seven or eight of these um 2u rack mount uh packages in it and basically can produce heat like a 100 gallon water heater except off of electricity and then it just pumps it pumps it around
0: and those are like 150 Terahash per second, or oh, is that I think with the those 53? are 53,
2: or are they in the 130s? So, uh, they're they're actually they're pulling six kilowatts each, so I think they're closer to 200. Oh wow, um, okay. but they're the, they're with, is that with the cooling? That's what they yeah they need okay. the cooling and all that, but they need um, but they're they're pulling a lot more juice, so they, they you call it like two, so they're basically yeah they're, they're basically two and a half M30s. Okay. For the for the power consumption of two, and that's out like now or uh, that's it's, out soon. They, no, it's, it, I, well, I, I don't know if it's purchasable now, but I know that they're they're demoing it now. They they wow. they they brought it out, and I saw a, a, a version of it last August at uh, Mining Disrupt in Miami, mm-hmm. and I know that they in October they had the official release um, in uh, State College, Pennsylvania, and they've been. I think they, they're partnering with a couple of the, of the um, uh, hut manufacturers to see what they can do. I, I, I think you know, upstream data, I think they've got their hands on some. Uh, I bet you some of the others have as well, um, trying to figure out how to use these things. Because the other nice thing about having a packaged system like that, um, where it's, it's uh, closed, closed loop circulating water, nothing will get into it, right? So the, air, the air-cooled systems are awesome because they're easy but you're pushing air through it. So they're going to collect dust, they're going to collect dirt, um cat hair. <clears throat> I've seen quite a few machines that were sent to us from people who are running them in their house that were just caked in cat hair. Um, but uh you know the 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 chip boards, the ASIC boards won't get any of that um, cruft on them with the water system. So uh there's definitely a lot of advantages to that um using it in more hostile environments. So
1: does air cooling take more energy than, or does water take more energy than air?
2: guess uh, Functionally, I think the water yeah. would take more energy, but the, uh, you're, you're talking triviality here because you yeah, yeah, you're moving the water around. And so there's a pump involved, but with the air, you have fans. So uh, no pun intended. So I it's, it's really just, do
1: you want cat hair in it or not?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also the, 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 the air cooling is less efficient overall. So uh, when you take the whole system as a package, the water cooling is probably uh, adding a lot of efficiencies to to the whole system um, because it, the air is just airs more of an insulator than a conductor so
0: no that's cool. I was actually talking to a Bitcoiner last week who's building a data center and he's like, yeah, we're gonna you know run our servers, but also mine Bitcoin and and that seems like the perfect application. I'm sure like Amazon and Google, those Mm -hmm. guys are thinking about that too. They're just
2: not not telling us probably, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if they have the slots for it, might as well throw one in there. Right. I mean, if they've got the, if they don't need the server hardware, they can plug those in and do something else with it. and Then you have the slots so you can move move them out. The other thing you can do, um, uh, with, uh, like if you, if you have, um, well if you're if you're making the the hot water right you're gonna dump the heat so you just have the machines running all the time so this is where uh in a hotel environment i've thought a, i've thought a lot about this because I did have you know, the hotels um had I been interested in keeping them I would have replaced the hot water heaters with these things because you basically just run them constantly they'd keep the 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 hot water at the at the at the exact right temperature if they make too much hot water you just dump the heat into the atmosphere like you would do with an air cooled system anyway but you also can um, make sure that the hot water is you know circulating around and it's much more pleasant and um, and you can actually do things like add the extra heat to uh hydronic flooring so if you have a uh, hot water a hot water system it doesn't preclude you from using it for residential air heat because you could put it into you know nice the nice water water heated flooring or um, even, even things like uh, baseboard heating if they're run with uh, hot water, that's
0: really cool. I guess uh, from the, also the semiconductor perspective, you know, I don't know are what's minor and minor like. Are, I'm assuming a lot of these companies are either in China or Taiwan. Yeah. Is that like a large concern in like the consensus like U.S. miners? Because obviously, it's a large concern for everybody. I think in the semiconductor, you know, political world of things right now. But I'm curious how that angle is formed
2: from the mining coalition okay. i would be i'm very concerned about that um i'm not i'm not on the uh, on the production side but uh, as a as a consumer of those things i am very concerned because um like you said earlier when the when the chip shortage hit i mean you couldn't get the things um and that's just because that all of the chips really are coming through the, all the fabs in in taiwan there aren't any uh u.s producers yet uh, i believe jack dorsey and block are trying to to remedy that um internally uh, intel uh was producing some chips but they um they killed that program a couple months ago uh which is unfortunate because that would have been that would have given us a third option at least and that was a uh, uh, you know that wasn't quite as tightly linked to the to the um to China and Taiwan. But, uh, yeah, if there's, if there's political unrest in that part of the world, then yeah, getting, getting new machines will get more difficult. Um, if there's, uh, you know, if, if the, if the companies involved decide to shut it down, um, and not give ant minor or what's minor fab space, then, you know, miners get, get harder to get, uh, get harder to get access to and prices go way up. But, uh, at the same time, when prices go up, old miners get more profitable and can be put, turned on. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I thought about
0: it because like China's China's so weird with like their stance on, on Bitcoin. Obviously a huge percentage of the hash rate like was there yep. and now I guess we don't really know. I mean maybe you know better than I, but obviously that went down a lot but you know they're still going to want to sell like semiconductor mm-hmm. Asics to people. Um, whether you know the fab space thing prioritization probably that could be a factor. It's just interesting to think about if that does progress. China taking over Taiwan or whatever, mm. how that yeah, how that could impact Bitcoin as oh. a whole.
2: Well, it was definitely interesting because they had if they if they wanted to crush Bitcoin, that was their chance. They could have uh, they could have seized the machines and destroyed them, or seized them and used them themselves instead. They let uh, they they told everybody to turn them off, and they let them send them out of the country. So uh, they they either they were not thinking like getting rid of bitcoin they just wanted to get rid of bitcoin on their shores or they uh, um uh you know they just hadn't thought that completely through or, or maybe they just didn't care and they just didn't want it in their country but they um they let those machines leave leave china and uh, so a lot of the hash rate moved uh well to here to kazakhstan to other to other countries yeah
0: But is, is there still like a good
2: chunk in China? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. A lot of uh, the, 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 the stuff that stayed in China went underground, uh, at least at the time. I think it's, it's gotten, their restrictions on it have, have eased a little bit as as I understand. But, um, and so now there's more, uh, clear cut hash coming from China. But at the time everybody said, Oh, China went to zero. I was like, no, it didn't. They just. (laughs) They just stopped purporting they were from China or using things like VPNs and other such things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't know much about that. So that was like totally blowing my mind there a (laughs) second ago. I mean, I I guess actually like mine's more of like, I think for for the lesser knowing people because a lot of like, I mean, I read Tristan's book, Bitcoin Beef. I was talking to my dad about it. Um, Some friends of mine who don't really look at it as much more than than a stock, mm-hmm. how do you like? I would sort of like look back on. I was asking you on your personal journey, like in twenty nineteen, how did how did that come about for you? So that like you looked at it in a more practical fashion. I think it's more. I think I think people are thinking that way more now after yeah. twenty twenty than they were maybe before that. As far as like decentralization of their like just in like money and all this stuff and different different stuff and the dollars like coming down and all that stuff. But I, these are all things I didn't think about until I read Tristan's book, but. It's it's sort of like a question of like how do you get, um, how did you get to there, mm. from like a practical a practical standpoint.
2: Well, I saw it, um, because I, I when I came back into it, I jumped into it uh, feet first onto the economic side, and um, I I guess yeah. too
1: just a to couple on that because this is like something that I mean people are going to probably shit on me in the comments or whatever, but it, like I've I mean I fell into a bunch of shit coins too probably like everyone did at some point. I had Cardano, I had Voyager. I had um, I had some really fun ones. Doge, that was just for fun. Everybody's got it. but <laughs> everyone's got Doge. But but sort of like, why is what makes Bitcoin the king of that stuff? Like, what because there's like so many other coins. <clears throat> so like, why is like why is Bitcoin like the big dog? And actually, where does Ethereum sit with that now? Because I I've heard that go back and forth with like people before in discussion.
2: Well, Ethereum is still second to to Bitcoin in terms of uh, market cap, anyway. But um. So that's a that's a very big question. Why? One of the reasons why Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, one of the reasons why Bitcoin is at the top is, um, it has the the hard cap of twenty one million. So it's it's got that uh, absolute scarcity. It's not there yet. I mean, it won't it won't technically get to the full uh, the full uh, emission of all of its um, coins until twenty one forty, but um, because it's an exponentially decaying curve uh, where it's having every four years, the, uh, we're at over 90% now. So within 10 more years, that's, uh, you know, two and a half, um, more havings, uh, you're, we're going to be something like at 99%, uh, or, or, uh, you know, very, very, the vast majority of it's going to be out there. So the, the tail emission of it will be, will be effectively negligible at that point. Um, the fact that you cannot change the economics of Bitcoin without having ever effectively everyone else in the network agree. And so let's say somebody wanted to double the supply, go from 21 to 42 million. Why would anyone agree to that? The only way that they're going to get a hard fork to survive and a hard fork being where they get, they, they, they create their new rule and, and, uh, take the chain and move it to a, you know, create a secondary chain or a rump chain that comes off of it. Um, The only reason why that would become dominant is if the majority of the, of the um, economic value also moved along with it, but everyone else, there's no way to make that change such that it benefits more than half of the people. Durably. So, yeah, you could go to forty two, but why? Why would you? Why would? Why would I agree to that? Why? So because because of the game theory, it, Bitcoin isn't technically speaking, Bitcoin isn't all that interesting. It's got I mean, there's a, they, aside from the fact that the guy solved basically um, two Nobel Prize winning or Nobel Prize worthy um, problems, uh, but fundamentally, it's not about the tech. It's about the game theory. It's about the fact that. Um, Satoshi, whoever he, she, they were, they have the game theory so solid that nothing can change without everyone else agreeing, but nobody else is going to agree because it will, uh, it will damage their position. So all you have to do to expect Bitcoin to work is expect that everyone is in it for themselves. Now, you can have altruism in that system, but simply the fact that you're not depending on the good graces of o- other people, that's enough to make it work. Whereas something like Ethereum, um, they had the DAO hack, and, which I would say is a misnomer. It wasn't a hack at all. But um, they rolled it back. Well, how could they roll it back? They could roll it back because enough enough of the dominant players could roll it back. They proved that, that their economic um underpinnings are not solid, that they can change them. Bitcoin can't do that. That's that's fundamentally the thing that makes it makes it so solid and that makes it look more like a commodity, more like gold than a stock. And it similarly, Bitcoin doesn't pay it unlike a, a stocks technically can pay dividends, not all of them do, but they 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 can pay dividends. Bitcoin can't. There's no no economic value in the future to a Bitcoin other than the fact that other people will want it. Fundamentally, that's the same with gold. All, All value is fundamentally extrinsic. There's no such thing as intrinsic value. People say, oh, gold has intrinsic value because it's gold. No, it doesn't. If I put you on a desert island with a metric ton of gold and no water, how much gold would you give me to give you water? That gold is worthless. The only value, all, all value, or at least economic value is exchange value. So Bitcoin's, Bitcoin's value is because other people value it. So if, if everyone else in the world decides that Bitcoin is worthless, okay, well, then it dies. Well, fiat money is the same. Gold is the same. Um, any, anything out there is, has that, uh, uh problem. So, if you have a money that can be artificially inflated though that makes it that makes it weaker so you can you can you can sort of steal from the future exchanges for yourself but you can't do that as easily with gold and you certainly can't do that very easily at all with bitcoin so
0: i think that's a really that's a cool way to put it i think you know obviously given the environment can dictate you know what gold is used for jewelry mm. or semiconductors but Bitcoin also may have some contextual intrinsic value, quote unquote, right? And that's in, you know, it's beneficial use in our power grid. It's oh, yeah. It's a yeah. large flexible load. I think that's what it's denominated as now, right? LFL. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe we talk about that a little bit because the energy consumption, I don't know what the network consumes annually now. I, when I wrote my book, it was like 150 terawatt hours a year. Maybe it's closer to 200 now. Probably much more than that. Much yeah. more. Okay. So, you, yeah. when
2: did you write, when did you finish your book?
0: 2021. So, it's been a couple of years. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're, our, our, our exahash is at least double. Okay. So, it's closer to 300, which, if you're not familiar, um, yeah, folks like Elizabeth Warren always, you know, compare it to a small country. I think I, when I wrote it, it was Ukraine. Probably now it's like a more developed European <laughs> country or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of energy, but people don't realize that, A, um, a lot of that is, you know, sustainable, or some of it's otherwise wasted energy. Mm-hmm. And then three, more importantly, is, is that it's a very
2: flexible consumer yep. of energy. So maybe
0: shed some light there.
2: So when you're talking about large scale mining, not not home mining, not like one or one or two machines, but more like you know a thousand, five thousand machines. Um, technically, you could do this with any data center, but Amazon will have a problem. They can't have downtime. Yeah, exactly. They can't have downtime. Well, so while it is technically feasible that Netflix or Amazon could shut their computers off at at a moment's notice, they're not going to want to. Whereas Bitcoin miners, the value is in the uptime, but it doesn't specifically matter which uptime you get. So if if there is a... And you want the cheapest power you can get. So if you can get a discount on your power that makes it worthwhile, and part of the deal is... You know we need uh, we need the power, so you're going to shut off. You're going to do it, or you could have a a situ- situation where you're running at like three cents a kilowatt hour, and all of a sudden, like you're in Texas or something, and they 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 hit you with the for the next 15 minutes, you're going to be at 45 cents a kilowatt hour, something like that. You're going to shut off because all of a sudden they made your machines not profitable. So you and you can do that in a moment on a, on, a, on a dime. Like boom, you turn them off. Uh, granted, you and probably not instantaneously, but you, you over the course of about 10, 15, 20 seconds, you can turn all those machines off, which means now you have taken that load and shunted it back and given that load back to the grid. Um, so if there is a demand situation where, say, there's a cold snap and everybody turns on their heaters at 5 o'clock because all of a sudden they got home from work and their houses are cold, they turn on their electric heaters, the Bitcoin miners can turn off and the power grid can effectively... Flow that power away from the bitcoin miners and into people 's houses, and then when they when when they don 't need that heat anymore, the bitcoin miners can turn back on and pull that power back back to the bitcoin mine whereas and so the the the, the main um power plants don 't have to don 't have to ramp up or ramp down turning those things on and turning them off can take if, if they're if they're um, uh, even even yeah even gas fired plants can take hours. They're not like turned on in overnight, and seeing things like nuclear plants, which are of course carbon free, and the fact that Europe is getting rid of them, or at least Germany is getting rid of them is absolutely stupid. I think was it Finland just turned one on and their power, their, power, their residential power rates went negative because they have too much power. But that aside, nuclear plants can't ramp anywhere near that fast. Coal plants can't ramp that fast. Um, wind, they don't ramp. <laughs> like, you, you, and you and what if the sun 's not shining is the middle of the night this happens or something um, so uh the ability to have effectively a negative generator right so it's it's like a a generator that you can get power up power up by turning off that 's kind of how how bitcoin mining can be looked at it 's a negative generator, so you turn it off, the power goes to other uses. the actual uh power plants don't have to scale they don't have to. Turn up and turn down. They don't have to add more capacity or take capacity or shed capacity. Uh, all of which are worse for the environment, worse for the grid, cost more. So, uh, you have effectively, large flexible loads or negative generators or demand response that Bitcoin can provide reduces costs for the end consumer, makes things more efficient, allows you to level out the the fluctuations that. Um, uh, you know wind and solar provide while at the same time you know provide it, providing uh you know, stability for everyone
0: yeah i think it's like it's so cool to me that that's like an application i mean i think someone even said that on the you know Reverse of that, it's like there's so much energy sometimes wasted that it's like they just need a resistive load. So mm-hmm. worst case, Bitcoin miners can just be like glorified toasters, but yep. then you can monetize that, which is funny.
2: But, well, and the other thing you can do is that you said you're talking about um, wasted energy. Well, in, in oil and natural gas yeah. mining, there's stranded energy in that there's, there's these flares where there's literally gas that they can't capture. Either they're too far from, a, from a, a gas line or for whatever reason, they can't use it. You can plug Bitcoin miners into those uh, with a genset, burn it from natural gas into yeah into carbon dioxide, use that energy for the Bitcoin mine um, and, and recover it. Whereas previously, all you were doing was literally lighting it on fire. And one... Pushing the nat- um, the the uh, natural gas through a genset is significantly more efficient than just burning it, because the uh, you're talking 99% versus 95%, or even maybe it's higher than 99%. But you have a flare that's getting blown around by the wind; it's leaking some methane anyway, and methane uh, is a hundred times worse for. Uh, greenhouse uh, yeah it's 100 times more greenhouse effective than carbon dioxide so turning it into carbon dioxide is a net is a massive net benefit at least uh, that's what people who are smarter on this tell me scientists yeah yeah <laughs> but so why wouldn't you do that and the other people people say well what well, if you're doing that why don't you just plug that power into the grid you can't it's not the same it's 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 not you can't just plug random uh, power into the grid. And a lot of times these things are too far away anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It's an infrastructure problem. I think people don't understand that. They also don't understand, uh, just resistive losses from transmission. Like the further something is away, the more electricity is, is wasted or power is wasted. Power is lost. um, how often are so? You're saying it's only big scale mining companies. I know, like ERCOD Energy Reliability Council of Texas, obviously is is working with you know Riot and mm-hmm. the big boys down there. And they had you know a, a great example, I think was last winter where they you know returned megawatts or maybe it was even a gigawatt back to the like, yeah. If it was Riot as it gigawatts, yeah, gigawatts, but it was a couple of gigawatts back to it was enough like uh, to heat like 500,000 mm-hmm. homes. Uh, which is amazing. But I guess, you know, I think, including myself, you can all, often, you know, romanticize this and talk about this a lot. But like, how often is, is this actually happening? Like, how often are Bitcoin miners like going offline? Um, like someone like Riot. Like, it's got to be pretty seldom. It's,
2: right? well, it's it, you're not. So, it can be based on their contract. Um, so, it, you know, five 5% might be a little high. Um, but it's, it's going to be, uh, down in Texas, it's going to be a lot more common because they have that whole, um, direct billing by the minute or by the, by the, um, very short period of time where they can tell, they can actually tell riot, okay, you need to turn off in the next 15 minutes or, or maybe even faster than that. Um, but, uh, even, even up here in Wyoming, um, where there's, there's the possibility to do, um, small scale, like one, one, two, three megawatt size, uh, curtailment, um, and in that case, uh, it wouldn't be very often, but, uh, uh, you know, places, places like Texas, is, it's like you said, it's going to be when there's a weather event. So 99% of the time that it's, you know, clear skies, everything's going great. Then they have a, a hurricane or a, or, a, or a, a, ice storm or something like that. And they need the power. Um, that's what it's there for.
1: So actually, I, I kind of have a question too, and, and you definitely would know more about this than me. Um, but I, we last night at dinner, we were we were all having dinner, and we were trying to talk about between Bitcoin and like regenerative ag, and sort of going back and forth, and sort of how those sort of ideas sort of intertwine, and stuff like that. And a lot of regenerative ag, uh, from discussions I've had with farmers, and we spoke to uh, someone named Cody up in, or uh, spoke to a couple people um, about just how difficult it is to do on like a mass scale. But I guess my question with like this type of stuff, we're talking about all the energy applications. But the question is like the people that control all these things that could make the changes necessary to put Bitcoin in a place where we could have like it put back energy into the grid and all that stuff. And there's all these things with um, like green energy with like solar and wind that we've sort of been talking about. And actually recently watched an interesting documentary on nuclear talking about how talking about basically the pitfalls of wind and, and solar, and mm-hmm. there's a lot. Um, but sort of like how how does that work on like a larger scale um, when it seems like the people that control all the legislature and stuff don't want that to happen and they don't want these like practical applications. How does that work? Is it like sort of more localized level and yeah. sort of like that? And I only brought up regenerative Bag because that's how it seems to be like with those operations. It's like we just need more localization of that would that be similar to bitcoin or
2: in a lot of ways you're right yeah um it's uh the best work in the in in that is being done at the state state level um obviously the feds are the feds but um uh for instance you could see recently the uh there's a big there's a bit of a fight down in texas because um uh a couple of a couple of people didn't like that bitcoin was doing these large flexible loads and they didn't like how um uh, Riot was getting paid for all this stuff, and they thought that ERCOT had too much of demand response and not enough, um, uh, not enough production. So there was some. Well, people were building um, the production side of demand response, which is uh, basically micro micro gas plants, where they would, when when demand would go up, they would be able to ramp up these these little micro plants very fast. And produce a lot of, or uh, produce whatever additional electricity needed at a very high rate. Well, Bitcoin is the opposite, right? It's a negative generator, so it turns itself off. So it's actually cheaper. So, they, but these these people down in Texas were arguing that oh, we we can't have too much Bitcoin because you know, all the, it'll it'll damage the um uh yeah, the, the the financials of of these microplants. Well, all these microplants happen to happen to be owned by Warren Buffett. Um, so, you know, a little bit of political pull there, but that particular, those particular bills that would have, uh, would have impacted Bitcoin, uh, mining in a negative way were, I believe defeated in Texas. Uh, so these are, these are, these battles need to be waged just like with Reg- regenag ag, these battles need to be waged at the, um, you know, local and state level because the national level, um, it, it, yeah, they're, they're not going to care. Um, although at least U S national. Now you go to other countries, you know El Salvador. They get it, of course. They always have, right? Um, but uh, at least they have since you know Bukele got in there. But uh, there, I think some other countries are starting to figure this out um, as well. But uh, the in general, it's the smaller the the smaller the pond you're playing in, the, the more likely you're going to be able to get people who actually get it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why Wyoming is so great because we do uh, we. Wyoming was the first state to pass all of these uh, um, uh, generally Bitcoin-friendly rules here. And several states, Tennessee, Texas, uh, and a couple others have followed suit. But um, uh, I choose to mine here even though the electricity is not the cheapest because everything else about it is better for me here. Um, But uh, uh, similarly, yeah, they they get it here and they, they don't on the national level. Is there a concern that like, at a
0: certain point, you know, miners become more and more expensive. Like in the future, mm-hmm. like the barrier to entry becomes much higher. So inherently, like the riots of the world, like it becomes centralized. And I'm pretty sure people argue that right now. But mm-hmm. how do you see that unfolding?
2: And is that a concern? It's a concern. Yeah, absolutely. Centralized cent- centralization of mining overall in a at, at, at mega scales becomes concerning. Right now, um, there's the People argue that the number of pools is insufficient, and I would agree with that. But there's, there's, um, there's technology in the works that would help to prevent that. Like, uh, um, I don't know if you've heard of Fediments, but Fediments has a, there's, there's people talking about using a Fediment model to create a federated pool, which is basically um, like a decentralized mining pool. Pretty cool. Um, gets rid of some of the problems of pool centralization, since it's a decentralized pool. Um, but that doesn't actually stop the problem of you know, Riot and um, uh, Marathon and others having a huge amount of uh, actual just machines centralized. We were given a bit of a boon, boon on that when things like Core Scientific, um, Celsius, and others went bankrupt because those machines are going to be um, dumped on the market. Now, a large number of them are going to be snapped up by the big players, but a lot of them uh, will either directly or indirectly end up in the hands of smaller players Um, so people running in the home miners I think will never get priced out because as long as you have a use for the heat you can always do that so people using once miner once the uh, mining uh, for heat technology gets built into other things that will serve as a point of decentralization but the the small and medium scale miners are the ones that are likely to be uh, uh, hurt most, um, and those are the ones that that provide a lot of the decentralization now. Um, the you know the the couple hundred kilowatts oil field, well they, they're not gonna get priced out because they have they have effectively a zero cost basis for the power, um, and they can run older equipment. But um, you know on grid one two three megawatt five megawatt ten megawatt even a hundred megawatt uh, medium sized miners, yeah you might see some problems with them and. Yeah, I say that as being one. So Yeah, no, I think well
0: what's cool to think about is is it just fuels like more innovation. Because mm-hmm. like you're saying, like the guys who have no cost basis like flaring or what have you, they're they're not going to get priced out. So I think as Bitcoin continues to rise in price, that innovation will the fire to find more innovation mm-hmm. will, will will be there. But it's also a good transition point as well to like exactly what your your company does mm-hmm. is you know, at home miners like mm-hmm. you're saying that you know they'll always be there if they have a use for the heat. But I think you know a lot of people they're paying. I don't even know what the average price is—fifteen, twenty cents a kilowatt hour, maybe. I, I live in Wyoming too, mm-hmm. so it's pretty cheap. We're might be at eleven, twelve in Thermopolis, but um, inherently these hosting companies mm-hmm. came about and. There was a whole bunch of issues right like yep. compass and, and these guys i remember i looked at it for a bit and i was like oh that seems nice because theoretically what they're doing is you know giving you cheaper electricity and you buy in but mm-hmm. maybe explain what the the model was for that is for that and then
2: how you're doing it differently here in wyoming so um people like compass they would ba- they basically gave you a contract they, they would you would you would buy a machine through them they would plug it in for you they would find a spot for it and they would charge you a relatively good rate um and when they were working they were they were good um they grew so fast uh that they outstripped their capacity um and they have um uh they, ha- they I believe they have growing pains and that they they got out outside of a little bit outside of their skill set uh and um basically stop performing it's awesome when they worked and that you'd have cheap power and uh, a good machine and and sat slow and straight into your wallet but then when there when you were down you were still paying yeah as if you were up so if you had a 200 if you had a, like an s19 that would cost you 200 dollars a month you were paying that 200 dollars a month whether the machine was on or off at least that's my understanding and um now, yeah, it, it, it's great if it's running, if it, you have a 100% uptime, but you get 80% uptime and all of a sudden you're underwater. So, um, and, and then so people would start requesting their machines back. It would take months to get the machines back. And it was, it's still going on um, where there's just a lot of problems with it. So what we did is we started a, a mining company. We're small, we're running one and a half megawatts. So that's roughly... Uh, 350, 400 machines, um, and you have to send us your machine. So we don't buy a machine for you. It's you're sending us your machine. We're plugging it in for you. We're giving you our power rate plus um uh plus a premium. So uh we uh, we charge our customers nine to eleven cents depending on the number of machines. And there, uh if your machines are down, we're not getting paid either. So uh the it's fairly straightforward in that respect, whereas other other companies they they may or may not charge you that way. We just want to make sure that everything all of the incentives were in line so that um, it, the 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 chances of people getting uh, you know, having a bad experience were minimized. If, if, you're, if a machine's not hashing, you're not paying us. Yeah, granted, you're, you're missing out on the sats, but we're, we're also not charging you. So we're not getting paid. So our incentive is to get those things back online as fast as possible. We also provide VPNs. So if you don't, if you, is it, your, is it really your machine hashing for you if you can't log into it and check, right? Well, I have, I have heard stories of people who, after they have removed their machines from Compass, they were still getting hash. How is that possible? Uh, something's up, right? They're, it, it's, they're not getting the actual machine. So your machine, that one with that serial number, is hashing to your pool that you put in, and if you want to check on it, you can dial into that machine and you can check on it. Um, and uh, we, we actively manage it in the sense that we make sure that we, we have uh, open source software that we helped to build um, with uh, Brad at Upstream, called uh, PiASIC, that monitors the machines on a uh, minute-by-minute basis, checks to see if they're uh, if they're hashing happy, if or if they're not. If they're not, we get an alert. You get an alert, and um, you know, we we do what we can to fix it. Hopefully, before you even find out that there was a, there was a problem. And of course, you'll see the problem, but we'll be able to tell you, hey, we, we your machine had a problem, and we fixed it. Here you go. So. Um, it's basically a high level of service there's other there's other medium sized small medium sized hosting companies that that uh provide this but this is not something that a large company like compass uh has been able to provide thus far and so we think that that's that's our competitive advantage yeah we're we're gonna you're gonna pay more for a service like ours but um ideally with uh it'll still be inside the profit band for you. And if uh hash rate is going up or uh, if uh price is going up, that's pretty easy to do. But in addition to that, we also provided, we also did some research. So we found out that, you know, at certain points, wh- where's the price point that you should put your machines into low mode and, and which is a higher efficiency mode that produces less. You, you lose about 10% of your hash rate, but burn about 15% less energy. So when should you do that? Uh, temperature, certainly summer, summer. Or if the Bitcoin price crashes, hmm. so what are the what are the metrics? That, and so we, we put out a paper on that. We put out a paper on airflow mechanics and uh, how to optimize Wait, airflow. If the
0: price crashes, you would want to do that.
2: Yeah. So if the prices if the price crashes, um, where, where uh, with uh, hash rate staying constant, because you want to keep the energy or consumption you, yeah. down. Yeah, you want to drop you're your not energy getting company. as much reward. Exactly. Though. yeah. And of course, similarly you can uh, does it make sense ever to put your machines into into like high mode where they're burning a lot more energy for a little bit more hash um, and maybe probably not in my opinion, but some people want to just it's in that case it's a trade off between capital and you can you can get more machines and run them at higher efficiency or you can take this the fewer number of machines and just you know crank them. Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool. I didn't know. So you're saying there's a couple other people doing similar business models in smaller scale situations. Or? I
2: think that we're the best ones, but okay. uh, there's others that are doing similar, yeah, similar business models on the smaller scale. Um, some don't advertise. Some are out there. Uh, some do. Um, but uh, uh, we're the we're the ones that are out there, you know, putting out the research that we have found and trying to uh, put back the stuff that we've learned to the community for for other uh you know for other participants to learn and also we have that we ha- we now have a, a partnership with crypto cloaks where we where the um uh the shrouds that he built which were designed initially to allow you to connect your machines to hvac we figured out that uh, that the shrouds and a a with a with a little bit of a modification actually increased the efficiency of the machines uh by three to five percent so you can pay. You can pay for a shroud once. Get a get a permanent three to five percent increase. It's pretty beautiful.
0: It's like a three D printed little like. Yeah, it's a three D printed funnel. Um, funnel. Thing.
2: Yeah. yeah, it basically creates a venturi effect where the main hashboard fans, which are very powerful, push and create a low pressure zone, which allows the PSU fan to be shielded from any other mm-hmm. pressure and um, pull into that. So. One of the big problems when you have a, a, a multiple machines in a row is the, the the machines will basically pressurize the space, and the hashboard fans can overcome that, but the power supply fans can't. So you you can you you can use these shrouds to shield the power supply fans from the the pressure wall that is being created.
0: How so? How has the perception been where you're mining? So you're getting. You're one and a half megawatts now. I know you're. You're looking to increase power consumption. I think you're the largest. or going to be the largest power <laughs> consumer in the town. Yep. Wyoming
2: Bob. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Not the don't, you, don't say the town, but yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. We can. Or how is the yeah community like? Is, are people asking questions? Is it noisy outside? Like, do people even know that that's?
2: So, we are a quarter mile. Maybe a little more than a quarter mile away from a residential area. We're in a, we're in the middle of an industrial park, um, so our neighbors don't care. In fact, our immediate neighbors love us because they uh, it, did. You upgrade like all the we upgraded the dis- local distribution equipment. Well, yeah, we had to, we had to upgrade the power in the incoming power, um, and we we added a lot more. Uh, we had, we added internet infrastructure to the building that they didn't have before. But really, where they loved us is in the winter, we just dumped the heat into their, into their spaces. So they didn't have to turn their, um, uh, their oil fired furnaces on. Uh, we saved them, um, I think four or $500 a month, uh, from not having to do that just because we could dump our, dump our heat as waste into their space. So, I mean, even in that, even in that, uh, uh, relatively minor industrial environment, we saved somebody else from having to turn on their heat. um, but uh, the residential neighborhood, no complaints whatsoever. The municipality that we're in loves us uh, because uh, you know, we're, paying, we're paying our bills. We're there um, improving things. And uh, we're in the process of negotiating to do a, a bigger site with, um, and uh, take additional capacity that they can't monetize right now off their hands. So um, overall, uh, it's been at worst neutral. And uh, when it's not neutral, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I think it's crazy how
0: you know we're talking about yeah how they're producing basically more than the area can consume, and people don't understand that that's like a thing. Like how how often is that happening? Is it like mostly rural areas? You think or no everywhere? Every everywhere. pretty much everywhere.
2: Yeah if you if you don't have basically you they have to plan for generating uh, more power than will be used in a common...
0: It's, it's like... You have any, to overcompensate all yeah. the time.
2: But it's like you can't, you can't build a bridge to, to, uh, uh, to just barely handle the weight of a of, of single car. Because what happens if that single car now is packed full of people and is extra heavy? So you, you have to plan your distribution for the worst day that you're likely to get. So they're generating all this extra power That's being, that's literally being thrown away because an electron in a, in a a wire has a lifetime uh, measured in milliseconds. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't use the, the force that's embodied in that electron pretty much immediately, it's gone. So they, they have to burn it. They have to, you know, generate all this excess power to make sure that if everybody turns on their heaters all at once and they need it, somebody needs an MRI in the hospital, that MRI can get done. Otherwise, you have brownouts, you have blackouts, um, and that, and you see that happen when when there's a mismatch between demand and uh, and production. Um, so, in the in the electrical world, that's just very very bad. And the other side of the coin is if they if they do it wrong, they can they can actually wreck their equipment. So um, they have to be they have to be very careful about how they do these things. by so by bringing on a load like a Bitcoin. Uh, minor that is willing to you know you 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 send us a message either electronically or by phone or however you need to it's like hey we need you to shut off and we do that provide allow that gives them that much more buffer uh in terms of how fast they have to deal with making sure that the that homes and schools and hospitals can uh can demand power whereas if they have to like you know what happens if somebody's in the OR and they have to? Oh wait, we gotta we gotta spin up this this boiler over here. It's gonna take seven hours. You know.
1: I was just saying, so you guys were producing enough power to heat your own building and then your neighbors' buildings. Yep.
2: Well, it's a single building, but so we basically. Oh, okay, I mean, that makes a lot have, of sense. We have one bay in a larger building, and so it, I mean, uh, we were producing so much heat that it heated the entire building.
1: That's it's, pretty impressive yeah
2: i mean, it's a, a megawatt of heat is a lot of heat mm-hmm. it 's actually like if you think about a space heater, a space heater uh, is a is a, is a kilowatt or a thousand watts, or even a, or a blow dryer is, you know one a thousand watts fifteen hundred watts, two thousand watts, something like that um, you know multiply that by ten thousand, and that 's a lot of heat i mean it, it, if you go in the hot tunnel so the way a a a industrial scale miner um there's multiple ways to build it one of those ways is a, is a hot tunnel where you have all the miners blowing into a tunnel um and so all the heat is collected and then uh, removed from the building in one with one big fan um that's how we have ours built even in uh even when the incoming air from the outside from the Wyoming winter was like negative 40 it was um 130 degrees in that hot tunnel. So that's what a megawatt will do.
0: <laughs> do you think there's an advantage to being like a further north? Yeah, like, so... Do you think that's gonna... Well, I don't know. Canada's electricity price has got to be terrible. Well, there's so. that. I mean,
2: <laughs> they, they, uh, all uh, electricity prices being held constant, generally speaking, chillier is better to a point. It's not actually true... That uh, that that cold is good for electronics. It's actually cold is much worse than hot. If the electronics can 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 be smart enough to shut themselves off before they liquefy, which miners are, like they're they're designed to run hot, so they know when they're getting too hot and they turn themselves off and they they save themselves. Too cold is actually is actually more tricky because if you have a a, a system that you know is running at um, Uh, let's let's, uh, in Celsius, let's call it 95 Celsius all the time. And then you turn it off. And because it's so small and so thin, it it does release its heat very quickly. So it goes from 95 Celsius to negative 40. And then you turn it back on. That will cause things to crack and break. And that's actually uh, a, a sticky situation that you have to, uh planned for so we actually have to heat the building in the winter a little bit so we do that's why we started recirculating that heat was so that we are not taking in negative 40 degree air and directly dumping it onto the hashboards, because then you get this really big temperature gradient and it's and the electronics don't like it so um to a point lower temperatures are better what's really good about wyoming is that it's so dry Mm. um you don't want you don't want desert conditions because most most deserts are just hot. So Wyoming is, is a is a unique spot where you have um, very dry air that that does get cold and doesn't get too hot. Uh, the number of the number of uh, hundred degree days that we should expect aren't all that high, unlike say Vegas where you know it's 115 all the time. So it doesn't get too hot. It does get very cold, but you—if you know what you're doing—you manage the cold, um, and uh, it's very dry. And uh, uh, in the parts of Wyoming where we're operating, we're at about four thousand feet of elevation, which is about the top you're going to want to be. Any higher than that, you run—you have—you run into problems where there's just not enough air, um, and that's when you start needing to look into things like using water or oil, um, so you can really upsize your your radiators, but. Uh, It's, it's, Wyoming is just a really great balance of the location, the price of electricity, the climate, and uh, the fact that there isn't a lot of people around. So nobody really complains about the noise because they are loud. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's,
0: well, first off, I think it's crazy how much energy is wasted. And, and, and it's hard to get an exact figure. Mm -hmm. I think it's almost impossible. But I've seen, you know, 25%, 50% of generate, and it, You know, if you want to get into the weeds of like generation and what's lost at that stage with transmission and everything. But it's clear that Bitcoin miners offer like a really great way to utilize that energy and monetize it in a decentralized fashion. So that's really cool. The, yeah, the cold thing makes sense to me because we used to do like, yeah, I mean, if you don't know, most semiconductors are rated like minus 40 C, I think Mm -hmm. is like the. The minimum yeah we had to do a couple parts that were like minus 55 extended for like mil mil arrow or something like that but and that's what for, when it's 40 c is also like 40 fahrenheit or i yeah. don't know where the meeting Mi- minus 40 is. is minus 40 yeah yeah <laughs> so that makes sense but yeah it's interesting because there is such like a heavy concentration in in texas mm-hmm. and kind of warmer areas but i guess they're just spending more on cooling and
2: yeah that and they the uh if we did get a situation where we were at uh, an, an extreme high temperature for an extended period of time um because the air is so dry uh we could deploy something like a water curtain um that would you know, add add some humidity but um that would knock down the temperature very very efficient effectively without adding too much humidity and the thing about the humidity is that um the lower humidity but not non-zero humidity is good is that it keeps the dust down Um, too, too low. And you, and you, and you build up a lot of static electricity uh, too high and the dust becomes sticky and just gloms onto things. And, you know, heaven forbid you're anywhere near the ocean, in which case um, you get the, uh, uh, the, the humidity with the salt in it, and that will actually corrode the aluminum too.
0: So, so kind of high level, how do you see like the perception of Bitcoin mining? Like you know, the left is obviously super critical. Like, do you see this as like a large concern from you know it getting banned in the U.S. at a high level or in general? What do you think are like risks or common fears that people have about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining that maybe are more um, truthful or
2: than others? Well, the uh, it does use a lot of power. And if somebody were to set up a mine in a spot that isn't ready for it, then that could be problematic. Um, I don't see anybody doing that because those, those the places are, that aren't ready for it are probably the places that have the rates that are too high. Um, and a, a a utility that knows what you're doing and is willing to work with you and understands what you're doing uh, is going to be a ready for it and b not going to charge you arm and leg because they're going to want the demand response um so the moment you can the moment you can do the demand response the moment you can do uh you know load leveling for the grid um you're not going to be raising the prices for homeowners that's that, that's i think the biggest the biggest concern is fud around bitcoin miners artificially raising the prices for everyone else which is completely false because you're providing a service that the grid needs and is it more expensive to let somebody buy power at a lower price or build another power plant because you need to meet a peak demand otherwise. Whereas the Bitcoin miners are basically paying for that power plant. And yeah, they're not paying the same rate as, the, as, as homeowners and businesses, but they're paying it day in and day out constantly and are willing to turn off at a moment's notice. So, um, and that, that's also the reason why people say that Bitcoin mining can help with green energy. So if you if you believe that we need more wind and solar, well, bitcoin mining can level those things too and provide a uh, a higher economic rationale for those things. Um, the noise is a concern. If people if people want to put a industrial scale miner in a residential community, that's just dumb. Like it's noisy. There's no easy way around that. You can do mitigation and things, but Realistically, you don't want to put these things in the middle of a residential community because um, uh, they, you well, know, that's where the people are. So put it put it near the substations. Nobody wants to live next to the substation. Put it next to the substation. Put it put it next to the power plant. I mean, the, uh, uh, the one of the best spots to do it is to just take the power coming straight out of the generator without having to transform it. Every single time you put power through a transformer, you have a couple of uh, you know a, a little bit of. Uh, of Of inefficiency, so if you can if you can do your demand leveling directly at the power plant that 's even better because there 's no efficiency loss there or minimal efficiency loss um, so the things that I think that people will complain about are the things that you uh, aren 't the smartest business moves anyway um, aside from that you 've got okay, yeah crypto bitcoin, all of these things can be used for crimes. All right. That's like the biggest one I hear from everybody. It's like scam. Yeah. Well, find me a $100 bill that doesn't have cocaine on it. I'm going to have to look through uh, Tristan's $100 bill. (laughs) (laughs) Like the biggest biggest, uh, currency used for scams in the world is the U.S. dollar, right? Like, yeah, Bitcoin can be used for scams. So can gold. So can francs, or uh, I mean you know, Franks haven't existed in a while but <laughs> euros and, and dollars and yen all these things can be used for scams okay so what um, is Bitcoin used by criminals sure it isn't? Is, is English used by criminals yeah that's kind of a dumb argument to me um, and uh, uh, the other the other side of that coin that I and granted this is an argument I tend to tend to give toward uh, more Conservative-leaning people than more liberal-leaning people, but it's it's okay. Well, what's a criminal? A criminal is somebody, so, somebody that the dominant uh, authority doesn't like. Well, what if the dominant authority doesn't like your Second Amendment rights? Are you a criminal?
1: Okay. Well, let's, it's let's, sort let's of get, it's sort of like history's written by the victor, sort of thing. Yeah.
2: Well, let's let's let look at this in a in a in a more uh, liberal bent. What if you know you want to pay for an abortion and the current regime doesn't want you to get one. Well, if they, ha- if they can shut off your credit card because they can monitor your transactions, that's nobody should like authoritarianism. Nobody, because they can just control your life by telling your bank that you we don't want you to be make that transaction. And, so,
0: yeah. so that goes back to something you said earlier that probably, I don't know, Ryan and most people may have missed is non-KYC sats. Yep. Mm-hmm. So maybe explain why that's important and obviously how you can get um, that from mining. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty hard to do outside of mining or maybe a bit risky.
2: Yeah. So KYC is the regulation. Uh, it, it's stands for know your customer. It's the, it's the thing that the financial institution and the, uh, um, uh, financial regulators have used. It's, it's often coupled with AML, which is anti-money laundering. Yeah. The concept being that every financial institution should know who they are dealing with and track the, uh, the, the flow of the money. Um, up until the past couple of decades. You could always use cash, and cash is generally speaking significantly less traceable than anything electronic. Um, not that it 's not traceable it 's just less traceable. If you have a debit card and you buy something with it, well, we can follow that money. We know the bank, we know who you, who the, the other the, the other side of the your, your counterparty, we know their bank um, and all of those things. Bitcoin has the same problem it's a public ledger. Literally everyone in the world who has a Bitcoin node can follow your money. But we don't know who's is whose unless the actual coins or actual sats are traceable to a wallet. So I have a KYC wallet, which everyone knows I've deposited into because I bought it off a of crack and I bought it off of um, uh, strike or whatever. So the whole, everybody knows that those exist. And I may or may not have what's called a KYC-free wallet, where there are sats that are not directly traceable to me exist. Mining is one of the ways you can get those sats, because when you mine, at least at the moment, uh, you put in your email address, which could be Proton Mail, it could be uh, it could be another anonymous email, and that's the only thing that traces you back to that. So if you have a uh, if you have a throwaway email, um, and there's even ways of mining to a pool where you just put the the receiving address inside the, um, the, the header that you, that you program into the ASIC itself so that you don't even need to have a, an account. Well, those sats aren't really directly traceable to you because you, you can make that address anything you want at any time. So because those are not traceable to you, they're money that, you don't, that nobody knows that you have. And this is not just about the government. Let's be clear. This is not about hiding from the IRS. This is not about hiding from the FBI or your, you know, ex in a court proceeding or whatever. You don't necessarily want your neighbors to know how much money you get deposited every month from your job. You don't necessarily want, you know, uh the criminal down the street to know, oh, he got paid today. You know? That that the all of these all of these um KYC systems. Uh, are giant honeypots, and there are they're giant ways of people getting attacked by, you know, criminal elements, by unsavory um, scammers, or even by their own government if they decide they to say something that is um, against the dominant narrative that day. So, um, the the everyone should be looking to have some sort of uh, uh, KYC free uh, capacity in some way because of that.
1: No, um. So I, I actually had one last question about the energy thing, mm-hmm. but it got me thinking when we were just talking about this. I can't remember what it's called, but there's going to be like that new government, uh, funnel where like everything goes through this digital funnel, and so I'm I'm assuming you hate that. Yeah, the CBDCs. Um, I think. Yeah. 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 So the
2: CBDCs are basically the 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 apotheosis of yeah. um traceable money, where they could tell you hey. It's easier to see what they're doing in China than, than the United States. But look in China, it's like, oh, you, 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 you didn't smile enough today, so we're gonna fine you, or and we're just gonna take the money out of your bank account. Or, well, and yeah. it's sort
1: of like in like New York, New York City. I think is like one of the cities where they're gonna start monitoring how much animal product you buy. And yep, all that sort of stuff. It's it's insane.
2: Well, if you yeah. if you can look at it right now, the credit card companies have um, codes for every type of um, merchant. Mm. And, um, let's just say, you know, gun stores, they have a code for gun stores. You go into a gun store. Oh, you spent $300 at a gun store today or gas stations. Oh, you, you bought $75 worth of gas. Oh, I think that uh, we know what the price of that gas station was at that moment. That means you bought this many gallons. You're over your carbon allotment or you bought cigarettes or you bought beef or whatever. Uh, they they will be able to track these things. They can track these things to to, uh, to at a at a one level of resolution. Now they get CBDCs, and that resolution goes not only to you know everything you do, but they can also shut it off. Because if if the if every dollar that you have has to
1: go through the government to change hands, they can just stop that transaction right there. So interesting. Seems like all these things seem to be so far from what we were built on. Mm-hmm. As as an it, it's just like a whole nother discussion. But as far as the energy thing, I just I, I heard a stat and it's completely wrong because I can't remember the actual stat. But it was something like the the power grids going to need so much X more power by 2050. And it was a discussion on green energy and how basically no current green energy besides like nuclear, which mm-hmm. no one seems to be super mega keen on, unless you're in China, where they're building like hundreds of plants in the next like. Fifteen years or something like that, um, but like you're not going to be able to x energy with solar or or, or wind. Uh, yeah. And actually, there was a really good um, comparison when they were comparing like you could have 500 acres of solar and you would produce still a hundred and a t- hundred times less energy than like one nuclear plant or something like that. But do you see like Bitcoin fitting into like helping fill that gap of energy being put back into the grid? For like future energy needs, because like those are only going to go up. Mm-hmm.
2: So what what being a demand response system uh, and a a um a, a way of monetizing difficult to monetize project uh, projects, um, Bitcoin will be able to play a role in that respect. In terms of um, will it will it cause us to need more energy? Yeah, but that's okay because it's levelized energy. So the um, like we had talked about earlier, in order to provide um, you know, a, this level of energy, you need to be able to produce this much energy. So you have to build all this. Well, if you have the ability to compress that because you're always running at a higher level and because the Bitcoin can just drop the floor out, and so now you can all of a sudden have that gap there, then that will allow us to basically do more with less. And so what seems like inefficiency to some people, is actually it more efficient overall. It, one problem with the word efficiency is it def, its efficiency requires a purpose. So is a Ferrari efficient? It will get you from point A to point B really, really freaking fast as long as you have a road. Is a Mack truck efficient? What's your purpose? Are you trying to get from point A to point B really freaking fast, or do you want to haul a bunch of crap? What about uh, a a deuce and a half? Well, a deuce and a half can do it without a road, (laughs) or a tank can do it without a road. So efficiency is about what it is you're trying to do and how well you can do that thing. And if you you optimize for one type of efficiency, you effectively de-optimize for other types of efficiency, and you make yourself more fragile. So, the moment that Ferrari hits a pothole, that's a pretty expensive mistake. Whereas, if you have a deuce and a half and it hits a pothole, do you even notice? <laughs> right? Like. Yeah. I, th- I mean,
0: that just sustainable, that like mm-hmm. encapsulates what's wrong with just like sustainable, the whole green ESG movement, I think. Cause yeah, renewable and uh, renewable sources like wind and solar, yeah, they sound great on paper, but. They're really, actually, only meant to work in a kind of decentralized fashion. Yeah. I think, and they're great for for homesteading. And you know, if you can just put them on places like roofs that just don't occupy otherwise like areas of, of space and land,
2: public land. Yes, there's nothing wrong with solar and wind. It's, it's the problem is using it or t- it's attempting to use it as a base load. Like, and the Marty Bent talks about that scale. Yeah. yeah would I put solar on my house? Would I put a windmill up at uh, at a ranch? Absolutely. I would do these things. I'm not against these things. I'm just putting, trying to, trying to make it so that that is the entire way you're generating your power when it, no, there are the known problems of it being, um, intermittent and, you know, it the wind blows when the wind blows, not when people want power. And the same with the sun. The sun is coming up and coming down on a very fixed schedule, but people want power, not necessarily in line with that. And who's to know that all of a sudden today we're having a, well, exactly the problem in Texas, they had a cold snap. Everybody needed power and the windmills had frozen. They couldn't get it. They they wouldn't generate power. And even there, even though the wind was blowing. So, uh, there's, That's why you need a mix of power uh, from different sources that are not correlated. And that's also why you need a base load so that um, you can handle uh, the, the, the peaks and valleys of all of these things. And the Bitcoin makes those peaks and valleys smaller because it provides a buffer. It's a spring.
0: Yeah. I think that's the message is, I mean, to be honest, it's like the fragility of the grid is real. Mm -hmm. People don't really understand how that works and, how fortunate they are to just turn on their lights and have power. I think first off, everyone should think about how that, how many steps, how much has gone into that right there. And that yeah, Bitcoin can help mitigate some of that, you know, complexity Mm and stressful environments in, in terms of demand response. But I mean, what's the last question is how do we, get that message out there to people to resonate like what's a good way to educate people on on this
2: um, i I think it's getting out there I think I think it's actually if you it's interesting that you see uh, several of the uh, political players in this upcoming presidential election two of them did their their announcements at Bitcoin 23. You had RFK and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. So a Democrat and a Republican both coming out doing a big political thing at Bitcoin 23. Granted I I don't think anybody would say that they are the front runners, but that's not that's not what matters here. What matters here is that they thought it was not just important but advantageous of them to do this. You have um You have Elizabeth Warren coming out and saying, I'm building an anti crypto army and just getting totally thrashed. You have the Wall Street, not the Wall Street, the uh, New York Times running a hit piece on Riot. And within an hour, everybody finding out that they're lying. And of course, in this environment where everyone sees the media lying about the, specifically I'm referring to their photograph, um, everybody has a a, a left and right has a strong uh, uh, holds the media. To a a uh, that they're basically lying all the time anyway. I think that that is the the we're at a turning point where a lot of the uh, a lot of the fud a lot of the misinformation about Bitcoin is just going to 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 die, uh, or at least become significantly less impactful because one a lot more people have have it or some lesser crypto, Um, and they see how. All of these things are being done, and and people are being. Uh, the media is lying, and uh, things are getting. Be- communities that have these things are getting better, and places that don't don't. So, I don't know. I, I'm I'm I'm, I guess cautiously optimistic for the for the next couple of years. Yeah, we're going to have some setbacks. Yeah, there's going to be some pain. There always is, but uh, overall, I think it's the, the the trajectory is in the right direction.
0: And I think it's a good thing to be like that way, cautiously optimistic. That's a good way to put it because I think there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, Mm -hmm. but you know, there are these bright spots and yeah, you just got to keep having that positive mindset and spreading the message and telling people that have no idea, but because things got so bad, people had to learn. Mm -hmm. They were forced to realize that inflation matters. They were forced to realize that maybe we shouldn't be trusting our government about every single thing. They're forced to maybe consider where their food comes from Mm -hmm. and maybe where, especially in Europe, where their energy (laughs) comes from. So then they start asking questions. So I think this whole narrative to me that like, we're just a sinking ship. It's like, no, I think when you get into these really rough spots, it wakes up a lot of people Mm -hmm. and then, you know, they become more knowledgeable, they become more empowered. Then we write the ship. That's my thought. I mean, obviously... You could go down the CBDC, you know, social credit score rabbit hole, but I think uh, it's it's better to be
2: optimistic. But Bitcoin prepares you for the worst. On yeah, both sides. I figure, yeah, I'm. If things go well and we don't need Bitcoin, I'm that, that. That's great. If things go badly and we need Bitcoin, then you know everybody should have some. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think we're 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 in the area where it. If we didn't have it. The CBDCs, the social credit scores, they would that, that would be a fait company already. But the fact that it exists has been a, just just it existing is enough to make it so that these things couldn't have been put couldn't be put in place as quickly or as silently as they otherwise would have been.
0: And the way I see it, if if New York City and LA and SF they want to do some right. crazy shit, like by all means. But I, I have a hard time believing. That stuff's gonna fly here, yeah. In, not here and in Wyoming, no. <laughs> so that's why we're here. All right, Colin. Well, this is a great conversation. Where can people find more about you about your mining? if They want to mine with you. Well, the, the company if, is uh, Distributed
2: Hash. Uh, you can find me at uh, uh, on Twitter at arcerus_btc. underscore BTC. I'm also on Nostr, um, and uh, and and yeah. Uh, so, it's
0: pretty much that's that's those are pretty much the places. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining. It's always a great pleasure to have a conversation here in the great state of Wyoming. Absolutely. So, Thank thanks you. for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.